Welcome to The Stripe, the first and only podcast dedicated to the face-off position. I'm your host, Greg Gorenlian. I'm excited to bring you knowledge and insight about the PLL face-offs and the superstars that perform at the face-off stripe. In the coming weeks, we'll be discussing matchups, trends, and predictions leading into the 2020 PLL Championship Series. But first, I'm fired up about this kickoff episode. Before we really started diving into the player profiles and breakdowns of the PLL's face-off athletes, we thought it would be great to give you a primer. What are face-offs? What makes them unique? And why does the PLL have a different rule set than the other levels of the sport? We'll touch on all of that and more. I guess a natural place to start would be me explaining why I love the face-off. Those who don't know, I was a professional face-off man for years. And right now I'm a professional face-off coach and advocate for the position. And I love everything about this position. And the reason I got, I was drawn to it in the beginning was because the spotlight is on you and there's no hiding from it. You are the leader of a face-off unit and you are the quarterback. And after every goal and after every single run, you're supposed to either keep the run going or you're supposed to stop the bleeding. And it's on you. There's no hiding. Everyone sees whether you lose or you win the face-off. And your wing guys are out there expecting you to tell them where to be at the right time. And I love that feeling. I love the fact that no matter whether you're down by one in a championship game or if you're up by 20 the second game of the season or even the preseason, you still have to go out there and do your job. And that's what I love about it. My goal through this podcast is to convey that knowledge to the masses, to the layman who watches lacrosse but doesn't really understand what happens at the stripe. And that's why I'm excited about this podcast and I'm excited to bring this knowledge to you guys. So for those at home who don't quite understand what the face-off is, to put it simplistically, after every goal, at the beginning of every quarter, there is a designated three-man face-off unit that goes out, and their job is specifically to get possession for their team. And sometimes the face-off man runs right off, and an offensive player comes on or a defensive player comes on. So you have line shifts just like hockey, and if you've watched lacrosse, you understand that. So the face-off man is the leader of that unit. His job is to get possession however he sees fit. And that's exactly what the face-off is in a nutshell. What are the PLL face-off rules? How is it built and why does it matter? Well, it's important that people at home understand that the face-off position has been under siege for years at different levels. And the rules are tweaked with, uh, they add things, they take things away. And by they, I usually mean the NCAA Rules Committee, and we'll get to that eventually. Uh, But even at the pro level, it's been tweaked and and messed with. The PLL, because of the fact that innovation was so important, you can tell at every level in the PLL that this is a league that was created by players who understand the professional game. Because the goal was to get rid of the – basically cut the fat, right, and keep it streamlined and keep the things that people love and get rid of the things that players and coaches and even people that watch at home don't like. So the PLL face-off rules are, are no exception at all. And when I came on board with the PLL at the very beginning, my job was to create face-off rules that I believed would not only be accepted by the masses, but would create a blueprint for all other levels of our sport. So when we looked at the PLL face-off rules, we basically took a checklist of things that we had issues with or things that people in general had issues with. And when I say us or we, I mean myself, other face-off athletes in the PLL, the officials, and the entire council of the uh, Premier Lacrosse League. The first thing that people usually have an issue with 
is it takes a long time to get the players set up. And, the, and for those people at home, usually, especially in high school, college level, both players, when the referee says down, the referee will point to the field. He'll point to the line with one of his toes and the players go down and they line up and they're supposed to line up top to stop, meaning the top of your head is supposed to be lined up across the midline with your opponent's ball stop. So you're not quite square, but you're pretty close. The back of your stick has to be facing out. The mesh has to be tucked in. Your hands have to be up to the line on the ground and not touching the plastic. Okay. Everything has to be to the left of the head. When the referee, after he says down, he then puts the ball down. And at other levels of lacrosse, the referee will put the ball down and he'll eye it up to try to put the ball squarely in the middle between both opponent's sticks. He'll then put his hand either touching the plastic or hovering right over the heads of the plastic, and he'll say set. When he says set, that means you can't move. When he backs out, he blows the whistle. Once he blows the whistle, both players can engage in either a clamp or a rake-type motion. You have to be engaged trying to get the ball out. You can't just stand up and jack your opponent in the face. Now, people have an issue because a lot of times in the NCA, and we'll use the NCA as kind of the blueprint for what we're trying to change, it takes a long time to get those guys set up. They have to make sure guys' hands are off the plastic, make sure they're not touching the line, make sure their head is perpendicular to the ground so that they don't have any kind of edge on their opponent to try to make it even. The problem is there's no deterrent for the face-off guy to not try to choke up on the plastic or line up on an angle because the referee, it's all on him to make sure everything's as, as evenly as possible. And that, of course, is human error. Not only are, do you sometimes don't see a guy choking up on the plastic or maybe leaning, but you're also trying to eye up if the ball's in the middle. So how do we get rid of that? That was our first thing. How do we make this quicker? The PLL decided that we were going to stencil four markers on the stripe. And those markers were going to be the easy stencil for you to line up your head to the ball. So the referees would say down. We line straight up to the lines. The ball was already placed on a blue dot so that it's always consistently in the middle between the two players. And then they say set and back out. It takes the PLL face-off athletes one-third of the amount of time to set up. So boom, first problem, gone. Now, the second issue people have, on the face-off sometimes, maybe two times out of a game, there's a long lockup that might last about 30 seconds or so, okay? Our goal was to get rid of that lockup. How do you get rid of that lockup? You don't get rid of it by changing rules. You don't get rid of it by saying you can and can't do this move or that move. The way we line it up is we took the players' heads and we slid them down the line. So now instead of close to square, the players line up and their shooting strings, the very top of their heads, are lining up across from each other where the ball is. So by putting the ball up higher on the heads, we've now made the players line up where the softest, most malleable part of the plastic is going to meet on impact on the whistle. And we use the term impact when on the whistle, the heads hit each other when the players are going for their move. What that did overnight was create a situation where the ball isn't near your hand, the ball isn't near the strong part, the throat of the plastic. Instead, it's close to the softer part. So on the whistle, plastic bends even easier. So it's very easy for the player who got there first to uh, collapse down on the ball and pull it out. So we really got rid of lockups. And that and you took the two things that players, uh, coaches, parents, everybody you know has an issue with, and we got rid of them right away. The third thing we wanted to do was we've heard that players in the past have said, it's not fair that one guy can take over a game because if he's just faster on his clamp than his opposition, he's going to win every faceoff and he can just pop it out easily for a win. And I always agreed with that. I said, okay, yeah, if your issue is one guy is taking over a game, 
then why are you changing the rules for the one guy? Instead, bring more dudes to the party. So in the PLL, the faceoff wings are a yard closer on either side. Also in the PLL, there's 10 yards out of the middle of the field. So the 10, 10 yards are shorter, uh, the, the PLL field, than a college game. So what you have done is you've brought more guys closer together on the faceoff. Now, some people might say, oh, does that mean that the faceoff guy gets blown up? No, not a single time the entire year that a faceoff guy get hit on the whistle and get decleated and hurt. Didn't happen once. What did happen, though, is if I clamp and turn, I have a wing close to me. So it incentivizes me to pop the ball out to space. And that that those are the three keys, right? A quicker lineup, less 50-50 lockups, and the ball being popped out to space so it's more of a three-on-three faceoff. And all of those problems were gone. The final and genius rule that I really didn't have a part of, I, I give it to the rules committee. They said that if you false start, you can't take the next face off. So if I go out and false start, I have to I have to sit the next face off out. That means anybody else on my roster can go take the next face off, but I can't. That's huge. And it's a very simple fix. And it really stopped guys from going early because not only do you lose that one, you're probably going to lose the second one too. So – Everything that we've done in the PLL was a long communication. It took months to get it right, and it was fantastic. It was the best version of face-offs. The officials liked it. The players liked it. The fans liked it. And I think everyone was really happy with the transition and the explosiveness of the PLL face-offs. So you're welcome. One of the hot-button topics right now is that the NCAA, uh, the Rules Committee, wants to recommend face-off rule changes. And for a lot of folks, this is alarming, right? If you're a kid who is about to go into college or you're a kid who's uncommitted and we're in the middle of a global pandemic and you don't have your opportunity to show off your skills with the new rule recommendations, uh, you know, will these rules be experimental? Will these rules go through? Or is this just all, um, you know, us getting upset for no reason? We're going to discuss that right now. And I'm going to go over a few different things that hopefully will make people uh, listen and understand and calm their nerves. Uh, there's other things uh, as far as myths that I want to debunk. So let's start at the top. What are the current rule recommendation changes for face-offs? The rule recommendations that the committee decided on in, uh, in June is that they decided that they would like to recommend to the college coaches that knee down, so right knee down, motorcycle grip, face-offs. So motorcycle grip, basically both hands are double over, pronated, are going to be outlawed. And you have to face off with what we've called SNG, standing neutral grip. And it basically means uh, before 2012, a lot of people called it traditional grip. And you would hold the stick right-handed. All face-offs have to be done right-handed, just like you would hold a stick normally. Well, your right hand is supinated, your left hand is pronated, and you have to be standing on two feet and go down. And from what we understand, all the other rules will be the same. So obviously, a lot of people who have exclusively been facing off knee down their whole lives are really upset and they're wondering why this is happening. Uh, you know, we have certain people out there in the social media world who feel personally attacked. We have other people screaming and uh, alarming people and telling them they should feel personally attacked. So I want to have you understand exactly why this discussion even took place. And I'd like you to understand exactly the history of rule changes, because this isn't the first time this has happened. And I think history is important. In 2006, when I came back from my senior year at Penn State, we were told that the officials were going to be taking the set call out. 
So they were going to say down. And as soon as we hit the ground, they were basically going to blow the whistle and we were going to go. Uh, we weren't told why the rules committee thought that. We There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram screaming about it. Uh, we literally nodded our heads and said, OK, let's practice that. And that's the way it used to go. Fast forward a few more years throughout my professional career, I have faced off with rule changes like take the set call out, put the set call back. You can't have tape on your stick. You're supposed to have tape on your stick. You can have your hands touch the plastic. You can't have your hands touch the plastic. You can lean. You can't lean. Uh, you were going to line up with the ball tight to the throat. We're going to line up with the ball high towards the top of your throat, like towards the top of your head. They told us that our hands couldn't touch the plastic, but uh, we could keep the ball in the back of our stick while we ran. We were told we couldn't have the ball in the back of our stick. You understand where I'm going with this. I was fine. I've always focused on when the rules change, I adapt and I continue to play whatever the rules are because I understood that if I screamed and pouted and if I got mad, sure, that would help for me to vent, but it would never help me get better at face-offs. The reason the rules committee has been tweaking the face-off rules since 2012, almost every two years, is because for years, face-offs were taught with one thing in common, cheating. They were taught, kids were taught to tape the ends of their gloves so the ref couldn't see them grab the ball. There were YouTube videos of kids being taught to grab the ball with their hands. Three out of the first four people that ever tried to teach me something about face-offs when I was in high school, the first thing out of their mouths was grabbing the ball with your hands. So it had become a complete and utter mockery. And the rules committee's desire was to get rid of the cheating involved. So you guys have to understand the history of the rules committee not trusting face-off guys, officials not trusting face-off guys, face-off guys not trusting officials or the rule committee. And there was this terrible relationship that was created because people taught cheating. So when you understand why they're still tweaking things, don't, don't think it's a personal attack on you. It's actually the fault of the people who taught the cheating for years and years. And we're still trying to get out of that. We have to give credit where credit's due. In 2014, the rules committee put in a rule that said, hands totally off the plastic, completely off the line. We're going to line you up first. Then the referee is going to put the ball down second. He's going to give you a physical set call, back out and blow the whistle. And when that happened, people lost their minds because the last rule that they also decided to change was that you couldn't hold the ball in the back of your stick anymore. What happened after that? Well, Trevor Baptiste happened, I happened, T.D. Erland happened, Ben Williams happened. <laughs> I mean, you have some of the most athletic face-off guys in the college game. I played in the pros at the time. I was loving these rules. In the college game, we have some of the most athletic kids you've ever seen since 2014 dominate the landscape. So, yeah, we got to give credit where it's due. It cleaned the sport up, made it a better face-off. So when, a, when the committee decides on a rule change, you have to understand they're trying to do it for the betterment of the sport. You might not like it. Sure, I loved having the ball on the back of the stick. But objectively, it was terrible for our sport. It was boring to watch, and it wasn't that great from a recruiting standpoint because you could never tell who was better. Now, the rules committee now is proposing that we go to a standing neutral grip only. Now, we have two different things. We have what they say, and we have what they think. Now, Based on my discussions with college coaches, their, their decision to go stand up neutral grip only and get rid of moto grip has nothing to do with cheating because we've successfully almost pretty much eradicated that. 
However, their problem that they say out in public is this. They don't like how long it gets set up. Okay, well, I think PLL took care of that. Feel free to watch some of the games from last year. They don't like how long the lockups are. Well, Premier Lacrosse League figured that out as well. You're welcome. They also don't like that one guy can dominate an entire game. Well, this is the last time you're going to hear me say it. Premier Lacrosse League figured that one out for you too. We did all the math already. It's all right there. Watch it on NBC Sports. You're welcome. Okay? So the NBC Sports, you turn that on, you watch Premier Lacrosse League, all the things they publicly don't like are all solved for you. Now, the reason they think standing neutral grip will fix it is because they believe that when you go neutral grip, you're just going to swipe at the ball like it's hockey. It's not the case. In fact, standing neutral grip, objectively speaking, is actually a way more dynamic style of faceoff. You have bottom sidewall dominant moves. You have top sidewall dominant moves. You have first step counters that you couldn't do if you're sitting on a knee. You will have less lockups because it's biomechanics. Anyone who tells you uh, otherwise just doesn't understand the position. Your wrist can rotate both ways. You can pronate and supinate on impact after you meet the ball, which means you can pull the ball out from your opponent or you can roll over the top. But you can only go over the top when you're knee down motorcycle grip because your wrist doesn't go under the ground. You can only go over the top. So if we're going to look at this objectively and we're going to look at this honestly, yes, SNG would be a solve for certain things. What it won't be a solve for is one guy dominating because guys are going to dominate. Okay. I've been set facing off standing neutral grip half my career, and I've had tremendous success with it. You're telling me that just because you're going to make everybody go SNG, just a random guy is going to beat me. No, I'm still going to pump him and go 80%. Okay. Or anybody. All right. So somebody is going to be a first, second, and third team All-American next year if you go SNG only. So you're not going to get rid of the dominant guys. And if you think you're going to stop a guy from going 70%, you're out of your mind. Okay. So it's important to understand that. If their real issue is the competitive balance, there's only one way to do that. It's to take the PLL rules and apply them to the faceoff. Because then it doesn't matter what stance you use because the wings are closer. I was able to game plan better than I've ever been able to game plan in my life last year. Because during the season, I had wings closer and I could put them in strategic places like chess pieces. It was fantastic. So that is the solve. When you also look at the PLL, guys were knee down, guys were stand up, right? When you look at the PLL, and we're going to do stat breakdowns, wait till you see some of the next level stats that our team's pulling. We looked at starters versus starters and the percentage of wins for each starting faceoff guy in the PLL last year. Aside from Trevor Baptiste, who led the league in faceoff percentage, and even he was not in the 60 percentile, okay? Every other starting faceoff guy was within three and a half percentage points. All six. I mean, all five of them. That's incredible. So there's your competitive balance. Okay, last year I played a game where I won every single faceoff clamp. I went 52% in that game. If you win every clamp in an NCAA game, you're going 80% easy. Okay, we've watched T.D. Erland do it. We've watched Trevor do it. Okay, there's just not enough space. There's too much space. There's not enough time for the wings to get there in time. We did all the work, and that's what's frustrating for people. Now, the other thing that's frustrating for people right now is why right this second? Why right this second during a global pandemic when college coaches are already not finished their recruiting cycle? Are you changing the rules or want to change the rules to make it even harder on yourselves? And that's why people are shocked because they're like, the guys on the committee are, are college coaches. 
So, you know, why are you doing this to yourselves, right? With no fall ball, probably, uh, to be able to actually take a look at how these rules are going to work. Now, in a perfect world, if you wanted to say SNG, we're going to go SNG only from now on. All right, man. Like, you don't want to take a look at the PLL blueprint. That's fine. Like, you guys, you, you look, you guys run the show. That's fine. But wouldn't you have thought it would have made a little bit more sense to say starting in 2022, right? Give these kids an opportunity to work on this so that they can go out and be recruited. Because all these college coaches who made this decision also have face-off guys on their roster. This is going to be an awkward conversation when you finally get back to school. So, you know, that's just this is just some of the stuff that people are a little frustrated with. And if the blueprint of the PLL face-offs weren't already right there, then I would be a little bit more accepting of this. But that's what frustrates me. And I'm one of the very mellow people about this. So once again, I'm going to plead. Look at the PLL blueprint. We did all the work for you. One of the things that the Stripe is trying to do with our podcast show is to not only educate you guys on the face-off, educate you guys on the PLL face-off, educate you guys both on the field and behind the scenes of the superstars that take the face-offs in this league. But we want to introduce to you guys new stats that help you understand this position at a whole new level. We're going to have stat introductions like starters versus non-starters, clamp percentage, wing percentage, players and teams points after a face-off, head-to-head matchup statistics. We're going to to take this to a whole new level so you guys understand these breakdowns at a very high level. And our goal is for you guys to watch a PLL match and for you to take a look at the face-offs and to understand the lexicon and the vernacular so well that you understand what they're doing. You can talk to your friends before a face-off and discuss what move you think they're going to go with. Our goal is to educate you guys so you get a whole new level of joy out of watching lacrosse in general. And I think we're going to bring that to you with our stat team because it's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen in any kind of presentation. That does it for our primer episode of The Stripe. Our next show kicks off by bringing the 2019 PLL face-off king, Trevor Baptiste, onto the show. We'll be crunching the numbers on his 2019 performance, get his outlook on his training and preparation for the 2020 Championship Series, as well as who he looks forward to going head-to-head with the most in Salt Lake City this July. I want to say that I'm honored to be part of the first ever Face-Off specific podcast. This is a huge moment for the Face-Off position. If you're as excited about this show as I am, then please rate the podcast five stars and leave questions that you would like us to discuss on the show. We'll be selecting some of our favorites each week. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Greg Renlian, and I look forward to meeting you again at The Stripe.